really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, results, great interviews, and just so much more all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. The return of Super Rugby caught me off guard to the tune of a whole week, so we have even more to talk about than usual, (laughs) amazingly. So if you'd like to get in touch, by all means, please do so. I always love hearing from you. I can be found on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just shoot me an email via the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. Get in touch whenever and however you like. And with all that out of the way, let's get on with the show. So current updates. Well, friends, I finished my first full week as a, quote, English teacher, unquote, filling in for a, uh, as a long-term sub for a really great teacher who's off for maternity leave. So guys, it was incredibly difficult, just exhausting at every level. On Monday, I found myself seriously questioning my own ability to do it successfully at all. But you know what? Then I got better at it. I learned some new uh, classroom management techniques. I also learned to be able to tell myself to relax when I feel myself becoming irate. I also learned uh, to look at these little monsters as, well, just kids rather than monsters. None of them actively you know, want me to be losing sleep and spending every waking moment f- fretting about my every interaction with them. They're 12. They aren't Machiavellian masterminds bent on the destruction of my soul. That's just a happy byproduct for them. In any event, it turns out I'm actually pretty good at this. And while I have a ton of work ahead of me, it's work I know I can do. And I'm very much looking forward to finding out where this whole thing leads. He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! No, not great news this week, Isa. Sorry, but inspiring nonetheless. So I found an article about a rugby club that is struggling to deal with the influence of the mafia all around them. The headline reading, They torched our clubhouse, but Sicilian rugby team won't let mafia win. (laughs) Obviously, I was sucked in by that headline immediately. So the article went on to say, Quote, Librino's amateur players have to guard their new pitch and facilities every night, but it's worth it to keep children out of the clutches of Cosa Nostra. Gloria Mertoli's shift is over when the first light of dawn shines on the goalposts of a rugby pitch in the Librino district of Catania, a stronghold of the Cosa Nostra, the fair Sicilian mafia. Since mobsters torched the clubhouse and team bus, she and other players on the women's rugby team, Briganti Librino RUFC, have taken turns to stay after evening practice and guard the area overnight. Since the club started working to take children, easy targets for mafia recruitment, off the streets of Labrino, the clans have uh, tried to put it out of business. Quote, Labrino is a complex neighborhood, unquote, Piero Mancuso, one of the founders of the Briganti, told the Observer. Quote, we knew it wouldn't be easy to work here. These criminal attacks risk destroying everything we had achieved in recent years. But if I look at what we've done so far, I can say that these attacks have made us stronger, unquote. The story of the small Briganti team from Catania has made news around the world and received expressions of solidarity from England's national rugby coach, Eddie Jones, as well as from former uh, England captain Bill Beaumont. Even World Rugby has expressed its support for the team. Last year, the amateur rugby team from Bolton, with a 150-year-old heritage, forged a partnership with the Sicilian team. Quote, for the people of Labrino, rugby offers an alternative uh, to a potential life of crime on the streets, unquote, said the Bolton chairman, Mark Brocklehurst, in a note last year. If we can help Briganti by offering a glimmer of hope, then amazing things could happen. What better motivator for Bolton to get involved? 
The Briganti, which runs several junior and senior teams, as well as women's teams across multiple age groups, was established in Labrino in 2006 with the goal of doing more than simply playing rugby. Quote, we built a clubhouse with a small library, a cafe, and a kitchen, unquote, says Mancuso. Quote, we offered after-school activities for the least advantaged kids in the neighborhood, and we started teaching them the noble sport of rugby, which is based on respect for adversaries and rules, unquote. I'm sorry for essentially just reading a story straight from a source, but this one just really caught my attention. And apart from the link in my show notes, I urge you to look into it further. Uh, the hard work that goes into the continued building of this great r- rugby family, you know, as a whole, it just it knows no bounds. It's just so impressive. I urge you strongly to look it up and learn more. Moving on to our thoughts of the week. And you know what? My thoughts this week are simply about Tonga the ongoing relief efforts by the greater rugby community. The world is so complicated right now, and I, I found this somewhere off the National Public Radio website, obviously linked in the show notes. What I saw was, quote, how do you bring aid to a disaster-struck nation when they don't want to let any outsiders in, unquote. So that's the pandemic de- dilemma faced by Tonga fi- following the eruption of a massive underwater volcano on January 15th. International aid is on the way. But efforts are hamstrung by the desire to keep the coronavirus out of the remote Pacific Island nation, which consists of some 170 islands, many uninhabited, and has a population of about 100,000. Tonga has recorded just one COVID-19 case since the pandemic began. And even though the country has vaccinated over 60% of its population, officials say they are wary of letting international visitors in, lest they bring the virus with them and spread it throughout the community. As a result, Tonga's uh, borders remain closed and all pandemic protocols remain in place, including a three-week quarantine for anyone arriving from outside the country, despite the crisis in the wake of the eruption of Hunga Tonga Hunga, uh, Ha'apai volcano that killed three people and left behind extensive tsunami damage. The natural disaster not only covered much of the archipelago with a thick blanket of volcanic ash, but also plunged Tonga into a phone and internet blackout by damaging an underwater fiber optic cable. One solution, the Tongan government has agreed to contactless aid delivery with New Zealand and Australia. Tonga's high commissioner to Australia, uh, um, his name is Curtis, and I'm not even going to take a swing at his last name because I will just sit here for five minutes butchering it over and over. Um, But he told ABC Radio on Tuesday that he appreciated the two countries, that being Australia and New Zealand, their understanding in this matter. Quote, we need to follow the COVID-19 protocols to keep the people and the population safe rather than us setting up a system and there's a tsunami of COVID hitting Tonga, unquote, he said. A New Zealand Air Force plane was the first to make a contactless shipment when it arrived on Thursday at the airport near the capital, but <clears throat> excuse me, but only after the Tongan armed forces spent days sweeping the volcanic volcanic ash off of the runway by hand. Speaking to the press in Wellington the same day, Rear Admiral uh, Admiral Jim Gilmore, the commander Joint Forces New Zealand, said the plane was carrying relief supplies such as food, drinking water, a critical need, generators and personal hygiene kits. He went on to say that those supplies would be offloaded on the tarmac and then the aircraft would return to New Zealand the same evening in adherence with Tonga's COVID-19 restrictions. But there have been glitches. An aid flight out of Australia had to turn back after a crew member tested positive during the flight for COVID-19. Officials said the supplies were moved to another flight that took off on Friday. Humanitarian agencies also say they will do everything they can to respect Tonga's strict COVID-19 protocols. Quote, if there's a need for quarantine of the relief items, the need for quarantine of the team, we will consider that, unquote. Uh, Sainiana Rakovukago, Partnership and Program Director of the International Federation of the Red Cross, told NPR. They also said the IR, uh, the IFRC plans to put a team on the ground when they can, but for now, they've mobilized volunteers already based in Tonga. UNICEF also said it would abide by the country's pandemic rules. 
UNICEF will work with the government, civil society organizations, and other development partners to ensure immediate response efforts on the ground, which includes providing clean water and emergency health supplies for children and families affected. UNICEF Pacific Representative Jonathan uh, Leitch said in a statement on Monday. Friends, if you are in a position to do anything at all to help with the disaster relief in Tonga, please follow the link in the show notes for this episode and keep Tonga and its surrounding islands in your thoughts and prayers. Okay, now that I've set it up so that everything I'm about to talk about seems completely unimportant, let's go ahead and get to our reviews. Uh, the Six Nations. Six Nations tournament does take a breather this week. So uh, they will be back, however, for February 26th and 27th. Stay tuned for a lovely little bonus episode featuring, featuring my brother from another mother. That's John Anderson of the Scottish Rugby Podcast. Uh, we're going to be looking ahead at all that drama to come, likely dropping on Tuesday the 22nd. That should be tomorrow. So as always, watch this space. Next. Oh my gosh, guys. Super Rugby Pacific. Silly me. Like Somehow, I thought Super Rugby was still another week off, and bam, there it was. First replay, ready to go when I woke up on Friday. I'm honestly disappointed in myself for not previewing this or even, frankly, even mentioning it last week. As most of you know, Super Rugby was the first competition I actually watched, so I really feel like I just let myself down, so apologies for that. In any event, on Friday, in the wee small hours, the new season, the new iteration kicked off with the brand spanking new Fijian Drua facing off against the New South Wales Waratahs, and there was just great energy all around this match. What an atmosphere. The match itself, however, would be all Waratahs, not, not a phrase I'm used to uttering, with the Australian side taking a hefty lead and building it steadily until the Drua got their very first try with only about 15 minutes left to go in the match. That had been the first points for the visitors since very early on, and at that stage it was 40-10, to 10, a tough day for the new team. They were certainly scrappy, if not yet a well-oiled machine, and it appeared that some honest-to-God actual fights might break out on more than one occasion. So the comms repeatedly opined that Fiji just haven't had enough time together as a unit yet. So despite the rocky start, I'm choosing to remain very optimistic for the season to come. Uh, somehow, the Waratahs got themselves yellow-carded right at the end, with their discipline seemingly just gone out the window, something like seven consecutive penalties at that point. However, despite all the advantages, the Drua couldn't get another score, getting held up well into the red, uh, and the contest ended with a bit of a whimper, a bonus point win for, win for New South Wales, and I can't wait for this competition to really kick into high gear. Uh, the rain waited until the very end of this match to come, at which point it became such a deluge that Danny Kerr started compulsively gathering two of every animal, and it was, in fact, 40-10 to 10 in the end. Next up would be my beloved Highlanders, the very first team I ever started to follow and root for, and they were home to face the Chiefs. I was absolutely drooling for this match. So they were playing at Wakatipu Rugby Club in Queenstown, which was an eerily beautiful setting. It, it took me a while to grok that there was actually barriers erected all around where people sort of more and more started to gather to try to watch. The facility itself, according to its website, can seat 25,000 fans, but today it looked like a manicured private field for some rugby-loving baron or baronet just gorgeously situated in a, raw, in a nook sort of overlooked by soaring mountain peaks and the endless sky of the Aotearoa godlike palace for rugby to be sure as it turned out however my guys never really looked up to it the chiefs had a, a bit of a field day aaron smith was of course his usual magical self but by, by the way that guy is so incredibly aggressive out there like somehow his look is just inherently deceptive he just kind of looks like an ordinary joe blow and he's always just smiling and then suddenly he'll just whack somebody or just obliterate somebody in a tackle he's just like a, a fireball agent of the forces of chaos on the pitch what a player but of course he's just one guy he couldn't do it all himself the highlanders would go down by 10 it was 16 to 26 in the end 
Though I'm unsure, actually, now that I think about it, you know, who was counted as being the home team. Uh, according to Super Rugby's official press relief, uh, relief release, quote, in order to minimize the impact of COVID-19 on the competition, all New Zealand sides will form a biosecure hub in Queenstown for the opening three weeks of the season. The squads will operate in separate bubbles with exclusive training facilities, with uh, day matches to be played at the Wakatipu Rugby Club in Queenstown and evening fixtures at Rugby Park in Vercargill. Uh, discussion of who is home and who is away is conspicuously absent from this and all the other releases I've found. So, you know, sorry about that. <laughs> a disappointing start for my original team. Here's hoping things can improve and that my Highlanders do the same. Next up was the Hurricanes facing the Crusaders. Jordy Barrett would uh, draw first blood with a nice penalty early on, but only a minute and a half later, Fainga Anuku got the first try of the match and he would score his second before the 14 minute marker had gone, uh, come and gone. Pretty sure I've seen this movie before. So things did calm down immediately after my writing that, however, and momentum slowly seemed to sort of tip a little bit the way of the Hurricanes. Uh, Jordy converting a try to give them a one-point lead late in the first half. Ali Yager found himself in the sin bin, and Hurricanes went down to the corner, but Crusaders' defense was just incredible. They ended up on a late drive of their own, getting a penalty to retake the lead 15-13 to at halftime. Quickly in the second period, Crusaders got a penalty kick, and then it was a hat trick for Fainga Anuku. Suddenly, it was 25 to 13 after 50 minutes, just a, a scary quick turnaround of fortunes. Uh, Hurricanes would bring on Ben May for his 100th appearance for the club, and they pointed out on comms that um, at 39 years, 129 days, he becomes the oldest player in Super Rugby history, as well as the youngest of Danny Kerr's great grandchildren. Um, Yellow cards on each side while Crusaders continued to grind away, and Presto suddenly was 42-18 to 18 with just 10 minutes to, to play. My word, Crusaders are a machine. Down big as they were, Hurricanes still showed uh, no signs of quitting, scoring a, a couple feel-good tries to make the scoreline appear a little bit more respectable, as well as earning them a bonus point, but it was 42-32 in the end. I'd hoped to find some cool stats to support my observations about the t just the, the number of minutes they have ball in hand, these teams. They just seem to play from anywhere, but... I failed to find those stats, so dang, it is tough trying to be a rugby fan in the USA sometimes. So, following that, we had Melbourne Rebels, and they were facing, they were allegedly at home for the Queensland Reds, but once again, I was confused right off the bat. The listing said it was in Melbourne, but it was clearly a Reds crowd. Um, the scoreboard format agreed, so there's lots of weirdness to start the year, I'd say. Anyway, the visitors couldn't get much footing in the pouring rain, which definitely affected the scoring on both sides. Gotta say, it's jarring having the Australian games with loud, enthusiastic crowds while New Zealand matches are shrouded in silence. Such a strange time. I really hope that changes in the coming weeks, as they're suggesting it will. In any event, it was 18-5 heading into the final quarter, and I was surprised to see Tate McDermott playing. I could have sworn they had said he was an absolute definite COVID scratch. Uh, but meanwhile, Diamond in the Ruck award winner Tania Latupo, he showed some amazing pace for a guy built like a grain silo. But nobody could really keep their hands on the ball. Just sloppy play after sloppy play. By the way, a little side note here. I find it annoying that they they like to call James O'Connor Jock as a nickname, you know, J-O-C. But they also have a guy actually named Jock on their team. They just don't make it easier for us outsiders, do they? Anyway, actual Jock, Jock Campbell, put in a beauty of a cross kick to set up one last try in the corner, and non-jock jock missed the conversion, his team nonetheless winning 23-5. Not a good start for the Rebels once again. Then, we got to see the Brumbies. They were taking on Western Force, and what a gorgeous day for some footy. 
So my hope was that this one would be close, and through 30 minutes at least it very much was, with the Brumbies holding a single-point lead. It's also that time of year again when I endlessly complain about what utter garbage flow rugby is. They should honestly be embarrassed to, to even exist. We pay like triple what we pay for any other service, yet we're forced to watch ads every two minutes. Hey, Flow Rugby, you see all those ads over all the players? Yeah, the point of that is so we don't have to watch ads. So take your little your little Caesars crap pizza ads and stick them where the sun don't shine. Honestly, you're just the worst, just like that garbage pizza you're advertising. <laughs> Be like your pizza and get stuffed. Anyway, on the plus side, I do have nowhere else to watch Super Rugby, so let's get back to that. Uh, Lolo Cio, by the way, last year, nobody seemed to be able to decide how to pronounce his name, but they seem to have decided that it is Lolo Cio, not Lolesio. Good to know. I'm glad. So Lolo Cio gets the Rummies a penalty kick right before what looked like to, it was going to be halftime, but the Western Force, they found a scrap of time to keep things going and eventually got a penalty of their own, bringing the scores back within one. 10 to nine was the line at the break. Uh, one of the reasons, by the way, it's so fun to watch multiple leagues is while all the games in Europe and here in the United States are cold and, and just weathery right now, meanwhile, it's effectively August in Australia and New Zealand. There's something so cool about seeing opposite seasons on the same day. The players in this one are absolutely wrung out because it's so hot and sunny out, which is something I would really like right now here in my little igloo. Anyway, back to the action. Western Force came out firing in the second half, getting their first try only a couple minutes in, and with the conversion, they had their first lead of the day. Brumbies would answer back with, uh, back with Falau Fainga, uh, getting the results of his own perfect lineup throw and the ensuing maul. And if you're an Aussie listener, please tell me what's up with Falau Fainga. Like, so he led Super Rugby uh, Australia in tries by a wide margin, got himself in the Wallabies camp, played at least one game and seemed perfectly fine. And then boom, he's completely out of favor. People have only bad things to say about him now, and I don't see anything different. Meanwhile, here he is, back playing and scoring easy tries. What has gotten everyone so against this guy? I really would love to know. So, the score remained locked at, uh, at the same score, which was 22-16. to 16. Heading into the final 15 minutes, the crowd were on the edges of their sweaty seats. Then, with about four minutes left on the day, Western Score scored a lovely try just outside the right post, and with the easy conversion, they were back up by one, looking for their first ever win in a season opener since 2015. Exciting stuff. What did I ask for at the beginning of this? A close one. David, note to self, you are not allowed to complain about anything this weekend. Oh my gosh, though. Brumbies immediately hit right back. A shocking breakaway try from a basketball pass to the backup prop. Just a gut punch for the force. Lonacio kicks the extras after the hooter, but the, the ref does let Western Forest get their final shot at it down six. However, they made a real hash of the restart. Brumbies come out on top in a real roof razor. It was 29-23 at the death. Incredible day and an incredible match. Lastly, sadly, the Blues and Moana Pacifica, that fixture was postponed due to a rash of positive tests in the latter's camp. And uh, I don't see anything listed for them next weekend either at this point. So stay tuned and watch this space, I suppose. Okay, moving over, back home to Major League Rugby, and I was very excited for the Friday night match. Second match of the year for my Free Jacks, who were headed down to D.C. to take on Old Glory. All the talk leading up to this one was about how it was a trap game. We obviously decided to ignore all that hype and just got down to business. My guy, Mr. Bowden Walkup, man, when he's running the show, things just feel right in the world. We opened it up early and took a nice lead, and our dominance at set piece seemed absolute, 
around the 25 minute mark, we were up six to 17 when we got another beauty off a long line out, bang, bang out to the winger. And I was like, here comes Dougie. Oh, when I remembered he was away in some sort of cell for those who committed penalties unseen by anyone. And you know what? That's where our depth is right now, though. We, we, Got that try despite missing our leading scoring winger. Just great stuff to have so many positive signs for this team early on. It's like we have two full uh, full sides of, you know, equal capability almost. It's it's an amazing new, new development for us. I'm so happy. Anyway, DC, of course, they weren't to be taken lightly. At 35 minutes, they scored what looked like an inevitable try. And believe me, I did not think this match was a done deal. Uh, what I like is, as I said last week and in my conversation with Kyle Sequera, is is the ferocity that we're bringing right now. As a, as a fan, it really feels like the new coaching combinations have unlocked just a new level of aggression and assertiveness, just a take-no-prisoners attitude. It's a joy to watch, even when the other side manages to, to, to score a few points on us. Okay, by the way, the comms, you guys were pretty confused at this point. You constantly referred to our team as New England and then called DC the Free Jacks. Come on, guys. We're trying to grow this game. Maybe getting the team names right would be a good start, okay? Meanwhile, Joe Johnston... He has been a freaking beast out there. I'll tell you right now, I really want to get that guy on the show for a chat. He's so good. And on top of it all, he's got connections all the way from the Bay of Plenty in New Zealand, all the way right back here to Boston, where they just mentioned his mom is from. So he's one of those players who just brings more than strength and energy. He just brings an edge just to like, uh, okay, if you want to tackle me, you can, but it's going to hurt you as much as it hurts me kind of player. He's like he's like uh, the MLR version of Artie Sabia, that kind of guy. 13 to 22 was the score going into the intermission. And while it's a bit back and forth, I'm feeling pretty confident. Shout out to Phil, Dave, and Chris, who made the trip to Fours in Quincy for a watch party. Guys, you almost have been having a blast right then. Gah! Come the second half, the table tilted slowly at first until Old Glory. They got within two with 51 minutes gone. But then, of course, BW. I've decided to start calling him BW. Is that all right? BW gets another beautiful try just a dusting of magic footwork. He was clearly like, ah, oh, I only needed to do this one minor thing. And boom, he was away. To be honest, it did feel really back and forth. I didn't want it to become a shootout. I felt like that was going to go against our game plan of being more physical than them. But we were indeed too much for them in the end. BW basically owning the contest. What a performance. Again, That he should probably be the player of the week in the MLR again. It was 20-41 to 41 with just 10 minutes to go. The six fans sitting together under the loud and united sign looked fully nonplussed. Quote, about five minutes left in this one, although the only official time is on uh, on the referee's wrist, unquote, say the comms. And I'm a little worried about the infrastructure in D.C. You're telling us the clock isn't right? Okay. Anyway, quote, both teams are gassed. They also said, unquote, but you know who doesn't look gassed out there? Joe Johnston. He looks pretty pleased at the moment. Ooh, red card against us. If you recall, there were only five red cards all of last year. Not, not for us, for the league. So that one hurt, and Slade McDowell will likely be out for at least next week. I do hope I can see him at our home opener a couple weeks from now. Got to see. Got to say, the uh, the referee seemed very nervous about making any call whatsoever. He basically said, "TMO, tell me what to say, and I will say it." It was it was weak sauce, frankly. Anyway, as the comps pointed out, DC they showed some real heart in a losing effort. They got a nice try right at the clock as the clock went into the red. But after shanking the conversion, it was in fact 25 to 41 in the end. What a great away result for my Free Jacks. Okay, elsewhere around the league, Rugby ATL, they were hosting the team from New Jersey. And I do have to admit it, it kind of tastes gross in my mouth, but I have to admit Hoboken RFC might actually be pretty good. In any event, they were too much for Atlanta, at least on the day. The visitors coming out on top 31 to 36, all told. Meanwhile, 
Nola Gold somehow got their third home game in a row. They welcomed the equally winless Toronto Arrows to the gold mine. One single point was the difference between a winless season and a new light, with Toronto sneaking out the slimmest of wins, 23-24. A very tough start to the season for New Orleans, wasting their three-game opening homestand. Hard to see how they turn it around, even at this early stage. Dallas, they then had their second Texas Derby, uh, Texas Derby of the year, hosting rival Houston, but the Thundercats were too much for them again. Uh, Dallas do look to be improving to me, but it's still a, a tough beginning for the expansion franchise, dropping their third in a row. This one was 33-38 to 38 in the end. Meanwhile, Austin, they were at home to, to face Utah. The home team continued to build their unrivaled uh, points total this year, this time coming out on top 24-10. to 10. Utah must have some serious question marks swirling around them right now. They're another team that will really need to turn things around to hope for any of the success that they had last year. And you got to love these emerging storylines, even in week three. It's so great. Then, on Sunday, San Diego, they were back home to face off against Seattle. And this was an MLR instant classic. Four tries apiece and only the Seawolves' lone penalty making up the difference. It was 28-31 to 31 in favor of the visitors. Last week, I speculated that Seattle might be fully back this year, and this was another warning shot to the rest of the league. Great stuff from out west and a fantastic ending to week three of MLR 2022. By far the best season yet. Okay, moving over to the URC, which got back in full swing on Friday with Munster facing Edinburgh, where both sides were missing multiple key players, of course, on rest after the first two rounds of Six Nations. It would prove another disappointing weekend for the boys from Edinburgh, as Munster pretty well romped over them all day. Simon Zebo, holy cow, what a player. He looked like he could have won it by himself, if need be. Zebo scored himself a hat trick, and that would put the game out of losing bonus point range for the visitors. Edinburgh leaving the grounds with nothing for their efforts, losing 34-20. to Their slippage from the top table has been precipitous, for sure. More on that in a little bit. Then... It was supposed to be Cardiff versus Zebra, and it was postponed. Why? Severe weather. I mean, are you even kidding me at this point? Is, is Cardiff Stadium maybe built on an ancient burial ground or something? Like, if there are gods of some kind out there, they clearly do not want Cardiff to play rugby anymore. I can't wait until next week's game gets postponed due to, uh, I don't know, locusts or flood. Anyway, on Saturday... We had Leinster facing the Ospreys, and even a depleted Leinster would have had no trouble at all dealing with the likes of Ospreys, finding themselves up 22 to nil with just 20 minutes left. Though Ospreys, they did score their first try almost immediately after I wrote that. Leinster would answer in the deluge, and they were back up 22 points with five minutes remaining. And yes, 29 to seven is indeed uh, how that one would end. So many players this weekend must be dying for hot showers. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, Scarlets were at home to face Connacht. The Scarlet's kit was certainly untrue to their name. It was like a shiny ghost battleship gray. It was totally bizarre. Nevertheless, they'd get, they got themselves an early penalty, and then a try shortly thereafter. And what's up with my Connacht boys tonight is what I wrote. Honestly, not sure if it was shenanigans or not, but Connacht answered my uh, note-written call and score a cheap try with a, with a Scarlet's player... Uh, sort of physio slash water boy running off as the play commenced. Just a bonehead bit, a bit by the, the home team. Uh, it was really one of those, like, they're all standing around saying, wait, that's not that's not real, right? That was fake, right? And meanwhile, the score has already gone up, and Connick have already converted the try. Uh, anyway, it's honestly hard to keep track of who and where has which and what rules. It seemed like the Scarlets were only allowed, like, 120 people in their stadium. Maybe that's just their ordinary crowd. I'm just not even sure. Um, Anyway, Connacht, they took the three points on offer and made it 10-8 to eight after 27 minutes. The comms declaring it's all Connacht, though I don't necessarily agree. By the way, 
just realized it's not raining. A shocking fact, given the weekend overall. My guys took their first lead 10 to 11 right at 33-33. How nice and even is that? But Scarlet's did answer right back. It was 13 to 11 as the rain started to gush its way in. Man, oh man, what a stormy weekend in the UK. Definitely glad it was not a Six Nations weekend. That kind of might have put a big damper on it. Anyway, right before the half, Connick got a try, converting it with the clock in the red. That made it 13 to 18 as they headed to the locker room. Early in the second half, Cardi wisely took the three points on offer to extend Connick's advantage. And the comps said they're killing themselves with penalties at the moment, the Scarlets. And it definitely sounded better with a Welsh accent. Anyway, after a while, my boys really started to run away with this one. At the 55-minute mark, it was 13 to 29. However, Connick got in trouble with penalties a lot and uh, with ill discipline. They got themselves yellow carded. They saw Scarlets get right back into it. It was 20 to 29 with 15 minutes left. And then a bit of a shocking red card against Connick as the skies opened up completely. I, I'm telling you, there just can't be any water left in the clouds after this weekend. So this, the last fixture, fixture I would watch on the weekend was as close as it could be, 23 to 29, with three sopping wet minutes to go. Oh dear, oh dear, exclaimed the referee. And, and yeah, WTF, a penalty against Jack Cardi that they didn't even explain. And suddenly Scarlet's, oh by the way, suddenly Scarlet's sounds like a definitely a popular rom-com TV series or something. Uh, suddenly Scarlet's are going for the corner with only two minutes to go. Incredible defense though by Connick for what felt like a million phases of play. It came down to a final scrum for my guys. Absolutely tied in knots as this one and the weekend refuses to call it quits. But yes, Connick hold on by the skin of their teeth, a win at Parky Scarlet's for the first time ever in their history. As I said, this was the, the one I left to the very end of my viewing, so I am exhausted. What a weekend. Moving on to Glasgow versus Benetton, Domingo Miotti had the, uh, the kicking duties today, and he's someone I have openly worried about on this very podcast. So if you guys recall, it, he was out for Argentina playing for the Pumas one day, had a great game. I was all over him, praising him up and down, and then... A little while later, they made an announcement that he was about to be moving to Glasgow, and he went out and had a honker. He missed something like four of the five kicks he attempted. He was just kind of crapping himself out on the field. I, I think if you listen, you can still hear the echoes of the panic bell I was hitting with a hammer at the time. Of course, as always, I was almost or entirely wrong, and he nailed uh, this one easily, looking poised and confident for the Warriors. He does look a lot colder than the last time I saw him. I don't think his nose has stopped running since he got to Scotland. Boston's own Rufus McLean, he had a blistering try disallowed, and to be fair, it was definitely never grounded. It was a sadly correct call by the officials. For once, my pre-match predictions looked to be at least moderately accurate, with Benetton proving no easy target for the heavily favored Warriors. It was 8-5 to five in the soaking slugfest after 25 minutes. It really felt like Benetton were here to steal this one, and this, uh, this might quickly become another weekend of gloom for Scottish rugby fans. Scotland have no chance tonight. Not very patriotic, that, is it, Stevie boy? 10 minutes into the second period and there was no movement on the scoreboard things looked a little bit disjointed if i'm honest eventually jack dempsey nailed one down for what felt like a monumental score and suddenly john anderson's boys were decidedly ahead and yes i'm absolutely using this moment to advertise my upcoming chat with john it's always a great time definitely tune in for that one i can't wait to be honest so quote the scrum half decides enough is enough unquote cry the comms and 13 to 3 was the ugly final score on this one though as they say a win is a win so finally then, on Sunday, we got Dragons at home for Ulster, where the storms engulfing the UK continued to pour down. And by the way, let me get this straight. It's too dangerous to play in Cardiff, but Scarlet's and Dragons can play at home? 
Was there perhaps something else behind the, quote, postponement, unquote, this weekend? Uh, conspiracy theorists would love to know. In any event, the home team couldn't get a single point on the board until uh, in the entire first half. Ulster looked to prove their new status as league leaders. They held a 12-point lead 55 minutes in. It's hard to see anything turning around for the Dragons. Shockingly, the conditions actually worsened, which is a phrase I felt like I, I've used a lot over the last few years. With about four minutes to go, a Dragons player got yellow carded, and given the conditions, I have to assume it was for a violation of nautical law of some sort. Ulster then took so long setting up uh, uh, their line out, clearly hoping to just get out of there, the ref pinged them and gave Dragons a chance to get maybe a losing bonus point, but my notes read, doubt it. Surprised to find myself right for a change, and the home team coughed it up, and Ulster just needed to go through the formalities to see this one out. A wet and chilly 0-12 to shutout at the very end. It was so bad out that Dragons technically had one last shot to get at least one point, and they were like, screw it, and they just kicked it out. <laughs> what a messy weekend in the UK. So, just to catch up, after all these fixtures, Edinburgh, they have definitely slipped down the leaderboard. They are now listed at 5th behind Munster. Those two teams have the same point totals, but Munster have played one fewer match, which is also the case for Leinster, who are only one point off the very top. Glasgow have moved into third place, tied on points with Leinster, again with one extra game though. Ospreys are the best performing Welsh side so far, racking up 26 points. Stormers are the top South African team with 23. Zebre have yet to get a victory this year, while Dragons aren't that much better getting just the one. In fact, apart from Ospreys, the Welsh teams sit at 11th, 13th, and 15th out of 16 on the table. Just a terrible year for those teams all around. Okay, everybody, to wrap up the weekend in the Premiership, we only had the one Friday fixture. It was an uninspiring matchup between Worcester and Bristol. Not surprising that it was, uns uh, that it was uninspiring. Uh, the Warriors, they grabbed a low-scoring victory over the very confusing Bears. It was 19-14 to 14 at the end. Duhan, he set the stage early in his return from Scotland duty with a try at only the four-minute mark. It was three tries with two conversions over two tries with two conversions for the visitors. Great to see Duhan, you know, continuing his machine-like performances. But not a, not a ton to cheer about in this one, for sure. So Saturday, saw Bath versus Leicester. And I have to say, Bath actually looked kind of good. Leicester were not fielding their A-listers, for sure. But as they say, you can only play the team that's in front of you. And when Bath went up by a point, then got another try only a couple minutes later, the place just came alive. Porter from the Tigers, he ran a gorgeous line to slice through. It looked like he was about to retake the lead for the visitors right as the half was wrapping up. But, uh, and I'm sure of this, he just didn't sense one of the two defenders who was coming after him. He, he, he clocked one and saw where the guy was coming from. The defender from his blind side just completely blasted him. He coughed up the ball, gave up the opportunity. It was a huge reprieve for Bath right then. Really big. Um, they went into the lockers 20 to 14 up. I wrote here, would they be able to keep it up for another 40 minutes? <sighs> the answer was no. No. Lester held the home team scoreless in the second half while getting a converted try and a penalty kick to take a 20 to 24 win. Apparently, Tigers hadn't won at Bath's home stadium for 11 years, so an extra sweet one for the Tigers. Then, it was Harlequins versus Wasps. Before this one kicked off, they observed a minute silence for Jack Jeffrey. He was a 27-year-old player who died as a result of a terrible on-field injury. Just a very sad moment for the entire rugby community. I love it when they take time to, to honor people like that. Uh, early doors in this one, the inappropriately named Oscar Beard 
He got a, a Quinn's try, but managed to ground his nose into the, into the turf twice as hard as the actual ball. So he came away with five points, one for each pint of blood pouring down his face at that point. Uh, the stadium, the stadium was packed under a sullen and darkening sky. It seemed like we were in for a tight one. It was five to three, heading towards fifteen minutes. Joe Marler, my guy, he looked like he was feeding off the testiness coming into this match. And Wasps, don't be the Spike Lee to Marler's Reggie Miller. Don't poke the bear. The next thing I wrote was, "Woo!" Last week's Diamond in the Ruck recipient, Paolo Udogwu, he saved a try to keep the score as it was, but soon after deception in the sudden sunshine Quinn's got a well-worked score by outskirting the entire Wasps defense after half hour it was 12 to 3 which would remain the margin heading into the intermission of course we all know the Harlequins slow burn it started early in the second half they got another try after a well-worked 10 minutes and then Andre Esterhausen another uh, former Diamond in the Ruck recipient he got another try within five minutes of that score. Suddenly, it was just all Quinns. It was 24 to 3. And by the way, at the time, as I'm watching, the world outside my window became a complete whiteout. What on earth is going on with the weather this weekend? It's very strange. So, Wasps, they got themselves another seven, but Lewis Lilac came on then, and that always means one thing, and that's a sure try for Harlequins. It was 29 to 10 with a quarter of an hour left. The visiting side did make it to 29 to 17 with five minutes remaining. They were hoping for a losing bonus point at that point for sure. They managed to do exactly that at the death, making it a respectable 29-22 loss. Exciting match. Another step up that ladder for the reigning champs, though. And they look very good. Next, London Irish were home for Saracens. London Irish continued to look strong at home. They found themselves up 22-13, to despite being down to 14 players. This with just the final quarter to play. As always, <laughs> somehow... My writing has the mystical power to reverse the course of reality. And at least temporarily, Saracens answered with a beauty in the corner. Still down a man, London Irish were undeterred, got it right back as the Sinbin sentence ended. It was 29 to 20 with 15 to go. There's a lot of 29s this weekend, it seems like. The, sat, uh, the, the camera at that point, as we were waiting for the conversion, it settled in for a long shot of a pigeon pecking away at the grass while they were setting up a subsequent scrum that that's just high humor for me i love that stuff anyway back to the game series got back within six with six to play and this one got tense saracens they got a breakaway looking to regain the lead in the dying moments but the winger took a big blow to the head leading to a london irish red card and suddenly uh that led to a go-ahead try for the visitors it was 29 to 30 with just two and a half uh remaining Series looked to ice it with a grinding series of pick-and-goes. The no-nos weren't ready to give up, however, and after a turnover, forced a penalty right in front of the post. Clock in the red. Paddy Jackson stole his side of victory from the jaws of defeat, 32-30 to in a real nail-biter. What a great game that was. Finally, Northampton Saints versus Sale. I only came in for the incredible ending of this one, I have to admit, with Agent Furbank getting a shot at goal to win it at home for his Saints. But... That kick would be his only miss on the day. New Hampshire dropped a close one, 20-21. It's weirdly good to see Faf's smiling face back out there for sale, I have to say. I, I'm surprised to have that reaction, but I did. Also, uh, online, a couple of people have reached out to ask why I always call George Furbank Agent Furbank. It's just a silly thing. I, I saw him once where he was in the stands in his civilian clothes during a game, 
I think it was that he was almost ready to come back from an injury, something like that. But he was wearing this long, dark overcoat, and he just legit looked like a top-level international spy. Every time I see him now, that's what he is in my mind. On Sunday, there was just the one match remaining, a great matchup on paper with Newcastle hosting the enigmatic Exeter Chiefs. This was another wet and windy affair right from the get-go. Dang, man, there was a lot of rugby to cover this week. So... Much like the commentary surrounding many of the fixtures this weekend, the conditions were deplorable. Both sides struggled to execute their basic plays, just sloppy all around. With 25 minutes left in the match, it was Falcons by two. It was 14 to 12, with a Newcastle player permanently in the bin. Miraculously, the rain, the rain suddenly just went away and took the wind with it. When Austin Healy dropped some serious coaching knowledge on us, describing why a kick got charged down and how it could have easily been avoided, you know... As you've all been listening, I know I've gone back and forth on him throughout the life of this pod. Let me now say for the record, I am 100% in. The guy knows what he's talking about. Okay, weird side note. The comms at one point described the Quinn's defense as being like, quote, a pack of hyenas, and <laughs> unquote. And I realized that sounds like an actual name, like maybe a super rugby player, like Falau, pack of hyena, something along those lines. Suddenly, I, I definitely want a jersey based on my own stupid joke. Anyway, of course, and inevitably, Exeter. They got a penalty kick to retake the league. It was 14-15. to 15. That was where the weekend ended the week. Fine margins, messy grounds, tight contests. Thankfully, basically no blowouts. What a lovely weekend of the rugby. Okay, quick update. So, Leicester are still tops for the Prem. They have won 14 of their 16 matches so far. Saracens, as I've hinted at in the last couple weeks, they have quietly snuck up right behind them. They are outperforming the reigning champion Harlequins. Gloucester also have been quietly climbing that ladder. They are only one point behind Quinns. Bath and Worcester, they are firmly planted at the bottom with two and four wins respectively, while Newcastle and Bristol have only five. The difference between the top, I mean, think about this, the difference between the top team on this league table right now and the very bottom it's as big as you could imagine Leicester are on top with 65 points compared to Bath with 15 are you kidding me a 50 point difference now that is a chasm okay that brings us of course to our coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, I've got to look down to the Southern Hemisphere and all the amazing players I haven't seen for all these months now. Today, there were just so many candidates, but in the end, I have to give it to Lester Fayangaanuku and Lester, <laughs> I'm honestly shocked to learn your first name is Lester, and that it's spelled like the Premiership Club, but you were absolutely devastating against my Highlanders today. Your three tries were more than the difference. Between your meters carried, your defenders beaten, all the little things that don't always show up in the scoreboard, you were the prime mover in your Chiefs' convincing win. Uh, I, I had obviously hoped it would go the other way. It's painful for me to give you an award this prestigious when it comes at the expense of my favorite side, but this week, Lester Fainga Anuku, there's just no way around it. There's no denying it. A heartfelt congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Congratulations, sir.
Okay, everybody, that, of course, brings us to our previews. We're going to start with the Six Nations, and that is right. After a week off, Six Nations returns in all its glory, kicking off an incredible weekend with Scotland at home for unbeaten France, whose Grand Slam momentum is building as much in the media as in the tournament. Frankly, I'm crapping myself about this one, but I will talk to longtime friend of the pod, John Anderson, in the next couple of days, hoping to maybe steady my own nerves that might backfire, though. Anyway, after that, England, they'll be home to host Wales at Twickenham. I have a whole scenario for how this is going to unfold in my head, but wait again until I'm able to talk with John. You know, don't go into full panic mode yet, like I am. Anyway, once again, against my express wishes and wisdom, the Italian match is left for Sunday on the little Sunday island when they will present themselves for execution at the Aviva in Dublin, facing a very angry Ireland squad. Should be an amazing weekend despite Sunday. Anyway, back home here in Major League Rugby. On Saturday, we'll have DC Old Glory hoping to get their first win. They'll be hosting the Toronto Arrows, who did get their first win just this past weekend. Seattle, resurgent Seattle. They're my comeback team of the year. They'll be uh, back at home welcoming Austin. Dallas are at home for Rugby New Jersey. Maybe Dallas may maybe finally get a win this week? I don't think so. New Jersey actually looked good, as I've admitted here earlier anyway the thundercats will face san diego and on sunday my free jacks they will try to get their first ever victory at the coliseum against the reigning champs from la this is surely our biggest challenge before we get to open up fort quincy in a couple of weeks i am happy with what i've seen so far very happy in fact but i definitely don't want to get ahead of myself here it is a long season and i've got to keep that in mind meanwhile in the urc not quite sure about this I see listed on Friday the 25th, Zebra taking on the uh, the Bulls from South Africa and Leinster hosting the Lions, also from South Africa. And then on Saturday, I see Connacht welcoming the Stormers and Benetton being at home for the Sharks. But those are the only fixtures I see this coming weekend. I will provide an update if that is wrong. Moving on to the Premiership, the Prem, for some reason, has three Friday matches scheduled. That's Bristol versus Wasps, Sale versus London Irish, and Worcester versus Harlequins are all kicking off before 3 in the afternoon, my time. And then they've got two on Saturday, Leicester versus Gloucester. Ooh, that actually should be really good. And then Newcastle versus Bath before ending uh, with the one on the Sunday, being, of course, New uh, Northampton versus Exeter. Have the Chiefs gotten themselves some sort of premium on Sunday fixtures? It seems very strange. And, of course, Super Rugby Pacifica... Uh, it's a little weird. It's still part of it is being in the United States. It's very hard to find accurate information about this league. I think what we have is uh, on Friday, my Highlanders would be playing the Crusader. Oh gosh. Yeah. The Highlanders will be facing the Crusaders for a whooping. Uh, the Waratahs will be facing the Reds. I see the chiefs facing off against Moana Pacifica. That'll be nice to see them in action. Um, Again, that's only three out of what I think should be six fixtures, so I'm not sure about that. I have a feeling those things will calm down and will make a little more sense as this, the season goes on, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Wow, that was a lot of rugby. So, well, my friends, that is going to do it for sure for another week. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. 
Thank you also for reaching out. It's always great to hear from you. It's one of my favorite things. What a week it was. I'll tell you, I got to find a way to watch a bit less. Uh, I'd like to continue to have a family. And uh, it looks like I'm edging them out right now with all this stuff. Anyway, there will definitely be some scores-only results in the coming weeks. I hope that's okay. I have been told that one of the, the best things about this podcast is it brevity. So maybe I'll get back to that and we'll do what we do best. Anyway, as always, if you would like to get in touch, you can use Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on the Insta. And you can always just be old-fashioned and shoot me an email at thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. If, my friends, if you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would please me to no end and just help grow the pod in ways that I don't even quite understand. If you like what we're doing here, there are a couple of ways you can show your support listed in the show notes for this episode. Again, everybody, thank you again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon, and be well. <laughs>